Hello and welcome to Sharp China. I'm Andrew Sharp, and you are listening to a free preview of today's episode. Sources told Nikkei Asia that a growing number of government affiliates, local authority agencies, highway operators, and even cultural and exhibition centers have restricted Tesla cars from entering their premises since last year. Previously, such restrictions were generally limited to military bases. One example is the Grand Halls in the heart of the North Bund District in Shanghai, a conference center operated by a state-backed enterprise that hosts cultural events, international exhibitions, and banquets. Tesla cars are barred from entering the grounds of the Grand Halls, even if they are just passing through, due to national security risks, according to local residents. And then Nikkei goes on in that article to catalog a variety of other areas in China and areas of different cities where Teslas have been forbidden to come within 50 meters or whatever it may be, given uh, a specific circumstance. Uh, But in general, it fits with the broadening trend of security concerns. And then with Tesla in particular, we've talked about this a little bit in the past. Um, But what do you make of that report and maybe more broadly Tesla's future in China? Well, I mean, I think that there have been reports like that, multiple reports over the last year plus. It's not a surprise. It's reflective of at least a couple of things. One is the general concern about national security and potential for foreign espionage. Mm-hmm. And we, we certainly see that as a broader theme uh, across the uh, system. And we've seen that, I think, with, remember, last August, reports started filtering out. I think even Bloomberg had a story about it. And then others followed on about directives at local levels or within certain state-owned enterprises where employees were no longer supposed to be using Apple devices. Right. No um, more iPhones. It, it, it was never traced to a central level directory. Like, you know, there was a, at one point there was this, oh my God, Apple's going to be banned in China. Didn't come to that, obviously. And there was never any indication that this was, you know, sort of a blanket top-down from Beijing directive, but something's going on. Um, I think it's probably similar with Tesla. Tesla, like Apple, has also been um, extremely successful at manufacturing in China. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, they have the Shanghai Gigafactory, and they've made, I think, I think the production capacity is like almost a million vehicles. Yep. Uh, and you know, they are a poster child for China being open and being a manufacturing power, and you know, being good for foreign business. The Chinese market has been good for Tesla, although I think that is getting harder and harder as the domestic manufacturers really. Uh, in many ways, out innovate Tesla, mm-hmm. um, and so going forward, I think China, you know, it's it's going to be, I think, a more and more difficult market for Tesla to sell into. Um, certainly, though, as a production base for exports, it probably will remain um, okay, depending on though how many countries decide to put tariffs on PRC manufactured EVs. I think when you look at you know Tesla, they're trying to hype up the Cybertruck. They're doing some sort of tour where they're going to show off the Cybertruck in some cities in China. They haven't actually said where, and there's no indication of when they'll start selling it. But again, it's sort of trying to, you know, build up the hype. Right. Um, but but I think more broadly too, though, you know, so Tesla, Tesla's one of those companies where you know, and, and Tesla they set up their factory when Li Qiang was the party sector. Shanghai Li Qiang is now the premier. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, uh, it, it's a it's a marquee project from the Chinese government perspective in terms of demonstrating how China is still a great place for foreign businesses. It's still open, and so. Um, it, it, and a little, it's a little bit like like Apple, where Apple is the same thing. Apple employs, you know, through its various suppliers, you know, they they employ have employed in the millions of people there, and they you know they, they have they, they're very important in parts of the PRC economy. 
Um, and so on the one hand, you know, there are real concerns about that security. On the other hand, doing too much to damage these companies in China would send a different kind of bad message. And so sure. I think they're trying to sort of dance around it. And a bit like Apple, where, you know, the iPhone used to be so much better than everything else. And now the Chinese phone manufacturers are caught up in a lot of ways. Um, although with the restrictions on Huawei, that's harder for Huawei now. Um, but when you look at the same thing with the cars, I mean, Tesla, Tesla really... Tesla was also great for the Chinese EV industry because it forced the local manufacturers to get their acts together and to really start innovating and, and move much faster. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, in many ways, and they, have. At, and they have. And if you look at how good the Chinese EVs are now, you know, those companies will talk about how, you know, Tesla, Elon Musk were great for us because they, they challenged us and they made us be better. Right. And, and, and so, you know, it, it, ultimately, though, Apple has has avoided, I think, being hurt too much by cheaper Chinese phones around the world to some extent. It, it's But Tesla, I think, is, you know, because Apple really tries to stay at the higher end. Mm-hmm. Tesla, though, I think is probably going to run into a lot more problems globally, especially from BYD. Right. And, and he must talked about that just in his conference call yesterday, right? We talked about how great the Chinese competition is. Yeah, no, I mean, in the conference call, the Nikkei summarized it. Despite the rivalry with BYD, Tesla still sees the Chinese company as an important battery supplier. Quote, we are very appreciative of our suppliers. You know, Panasonic is obviously our longest supplier there. Amazing company. We've got CATL. We've got LG, Musk said. And after a long pause, added, and BYD. So clearly, the relationship is becoming a little bit more complicated as the years pass here. You mentioned Tesla's roots in China. As you started talking there, I was reminded of the pre-pandemic video of Musk dancing on stage. We'll include that in the show notes, but I went to Twitter (laughs) and pulled it up. Uh, Makes me physically uncomfortable watching him dance on stage at the Tesla factory in Shanghai before the pandemic started. But uh, So I don't know whether that's a recommendation for people to go check that out, but a a notable milestone in the Tesla-China relationship. when you were living in Beijing, did you ever encounter restrictions on technology when you were near government buildings, or is all of this a more recent phenomenon? This is this is more. I mean, there there are always certain places you couldn't go, couldn't take photos, but right. But this is this is a different world now. Yeah, know, a feature of Xi. But both well, but it's also in terms of technology. In terms of technology, in terms of the connectivity. Um, you know, in terms of the data links. And so, and so well, yeah. And, and to that point, what I would say is I thought it was completely paranoid, but Nikkei is writing and they say Tesla's data security became a hot topic in China last summer when an airport in Hunan province barred Tesla cars from entry saying it's sentry mode, which allows owners to monitor their parked cars for suspicious activity and record the footage could potentially expose sensitive information about the geography and the landscape of the surrounding location. To quell data security anxieties in China, Tesla unveiled a local data center in August 2023. This move guarantees that all data generated by vehicles sold in China will be stored locally, addressing concerns about potential leaks. Uh, Tesla also downplayed the security risks of its sentry mode noting that the data it collects is stored on a local USB drive and is inaccessible remotely. I didn't know that Tesla had that capability, sentry mode and whatnot. I'm sure it doesn't actually pose national security risks in almost any context. Uh, But at the same time, I was sort of taken aback that the technology is that far along where you can 
remotely monitor your parked Tesla in case well, somebody's trying to rob it. For, first, I would say I, I would not be so confident that it can't be manipulated. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I think one of the things, you know, if, if, if that car is connected to a network, somebody who wants information can probably get in and find ways to, to access that data. I, I wouldn't say that I'm confident it, it can't out. be manipulated. I just don't imagine it is being manipulated to pose yeah, I, I mean, risks. but I think what's interesting here, and it's a point I made in my newsletter yesterday, I made it before, um, not quite a year ago on my very infrequent cynicism podcast, I had a great guest, Tu Lee, who who's a does the Sino Auto Insights, and he's, he's a real expert on I the, loved it, the auto yeah. industry. And we had, a, we had a long discussion about exactly these issues because they were coming and sort of how, you know, the way that the, the, these local governments are talking about the, the security risks from Tesla, in many ways, the action really, I think, should be, okay, so they're telling people how they look at these vehicles. So, mm-hmm. so, so you really have to take a leap of faith that the Chinese security services wouldn't look at their own... BYD you know, would never do anything like this. Right. Their own... Um, connected vehicles as vectors for collecting information or, yeah. you know, right. And, and, and so I think this is, you know, I, I think again, it's, it's really hard to say, Oh, it's no big deal because they're, they're just making a mountain amount of mountain out of molehill. They must be seeing something or believing these things can be done for certain things. Mm-hmm. And that therefore, you know, the foreign cars are the problem. Right. Okay. Well, that then ultimately, I think, causes potentially causes them problems in other markets. Say markets that don't like Huawei or have kicked out Huawei um, are, I think, going to have a lot more justifications to push back on the imports of PRC vehicles. Right. Yeah. Right? Especially like the EU, which is you know talking you know, launch an anti-subsidy investigation. You know, and, and that's going to. They've already had the, the the Chinese have already started penalizing French like brandy imports and. You know, they're, they're, it's sort of going to get tit to tat into a possible trade war. Whereas, if they were to say take a much more of a this is a national security issue approach, like with Huawei, you know, the Chinese side won't be happy. But in, in many ways, it's a faster process than trying to go through this long anti subsidy investigation. And the Chinese are already, I, I think, it, it, in some ways, you can make the case the Chinese have already made the case. Mm-hmm. Well, so it, just in terms of the state of the Chinese auto industry right now. And people should go back and listen to the entire podcast with Tu Lee because it was pretty fascinating. But can you give people a cliff notes on where things are and just how recent this explosion has been? Like, does it go back 10 years, five years? I mean, it, it seems like overnight China has turned into at least an EV powerhouse relative to the rest of the world. Uh, it's really been within the last five years. I mean, the, the government wanted to build out this industry and they put in place lots of subsidies and lots of policies and, you know, from both for manufacturers, but then also for consumers, um, you know, in, in, in a lot of cities, it's hard to get a license plate when you mm-hmm. buy a car. But if you got an EV, you, you didn't have to like pay the like bid, bid on a license plate or, or join the lottery to get a license plate. What's the, um, so what's there- the process look like there for license plates? Why is it hard? There are too many because because in places like Beijing, there are too many people, and so uh, if everybody has if everybody has cars a, on the road, if everybody has a car, it's a parking lot. Wow! Um, okay. And it was already headed in that direction, and and so, um, but it really has been, and I think this is where you see like the the traditional foreign car manufacturers, you know, the Japanese, the Germans, the Americans, who even though they all have big presences in China, were all basically caught asleep. Mm-hmm. Back at headquarters, from how quickly these PRC 
EVs got good. And a lot of it is just arrogance. Like, you know, these guys can never make a good car. Right. And actually, uh, they make, you know, some of these are really good cars and they're a lot cheaper. And they're also, especially for the Chinese market, they're built for Chinese consumer tastes and much more so than the foreign manufacturers build cars. And so, um, but it's really just been in the last few years. And, you know, one of the stories that we talked about on the podcast last year, too, was in the, like, the Shanghai Auto Show last year was, it was the first year that the, like, the big, you know, BMW brought us whole board, I think. It was the first year that a lot of the, these foreign auto manufacturers, their top foreign executives had come to China because, you know, because of the pandemic, right? They right. hadn't been there since like 2019 or late 2019. And, you know, they were just shocked. It's like, it was like a whole new world. I like, bet. Where, yeah. where, how did this happen? When in fact, you know, you go back 2020 hindsight, like, okay, well, you know, the Chinese, they had a plan, right? So the top level industrial plan. Uh, and, you know, there's been a lot of money wasted. There have been a lot of companies that have failed, but ultimately it's sort of the classic way they do it. You've come down to a handful of winners who are now world-class and, you know, globally competitive companies. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a pretty unbelievable uh, testament to to how quickly the government can move when there's a top-down edict and the whole machine starts going that direction. And no less than Elon Musk himself said this week that, Chinese car companies are the most competitive companies in the world. They will have significant success outside of China, depending on what kind of tariffs slash trade barriers are established. If no barriers are established, he says, they will pretty much demolish most other car companies in the world. They are extremely good. Um, So that's a competitor talking. And then Bloomberg... As far as the EU is concerned, uh, Bloomberg writes, China's ambassador to the European Union called the bloc's probe into Chinese electric vehicle manufacturers over state subsidies unfair, delivering a veiled warning that more European products could face trade investigations. In an interview with Bloomberg, Fu Kong noted that the EU subsidizes many of its own companies and said that if China took the same approach as the bloc has done, quote, there are many things that could be subject to investigation. Um, so I'm not very well versed in the macroeconomics of free trade, but I continue to be interested in this EV issue, uh, particularly with the EU, as a microcosm of the larger trend where China is investing so much in exports around the world that the trade tensions continue to become a bigger and bigger story with the EU, with the United States. And it's just sort of central to the PRC relationship on the international stage. What do you think of what's happening there? So I think, you know, the the Chinese have created, um, you know, their overall auto sector has far more capacity than can be satisfied by the domestic market. And so their exports have been soaring. A lot of the exports have actually been traditional gas-powered cars, internal combustion engine cars. Uh, that mix is changing. You know, as they ramp up, there's a lot of excess capacity in the automotive sector in China. Uh, the U.S. is not going to see a surge in imports of PRC cars because of tariffs Trump put in place. Yep, I think it's 22 or 23 percent, and then there's been continual talk. I keep hearing that the USTR is actually wants to raise that to 40 percent. Um, you know, and, and so, I mean, Trump may have done it, but the Biden team is not taking away. Uh, and, and I don't think given the politics around the auto industries, especially they're, they're not going away. Um, right. And well, it's and only likely they're going to increase. So, so yeah, the, so the U S market right now is, is closed to the Chinese, although what you are seeing is increasingly Chinese car companies are looking at setting up manufacturing facilities in Mexico so they can take advantage of the U S trade agreement and then bring the cars in over from Mexico. We'll see mm. if that 
how, how that really plays out. But, you know, there's, there's really, I mean, the auto sector in every country that has a big auto industry, it's very politically important, politically powerful, the unions, the lobbies, a sudden surge of PRC cars in places like Germany, the US, Japan, uh, would have, I think, pretty significant political implications domestically. All right. And that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of today's conversation and get access to full episodes of Sharp China each week, you can go to your show notes and subscribe to either Bill's newsletter, Cynicism, or the Stratechery Bundle, which includes several other podcasts from me and daily writing from my friend Ben Thompson. I'm an incredibly biased news consumer, so I think both are indispensable resources. But either way, Bill and I are going to be here every week talking all things China, and we would love to have you on board. So check out your show notes, subscribe, and we will talk to you soon. 